Hello, Spacers. This is Atlas, Berserker of the Acers. I need the audience to share our story to anyone you meet. One, it'll increase my standing for promotion. And two, it'll help our group share our story through the planetary system. We love to see our supporters and backup from everyone who watches. I'll hand you over to Nathan. Hey guys, thank you for watching and supporting through following, subscribing, Patreon, and even just watching listening to the show. I hope you enjoy this episode, and make sure to leave any thoughts or questions in the comments. Until next time, Spacers. Thank you. Hey, and welcome to Starlight. These are your hostess with the mostess, me being the mostess, Isaac Yorks, and we are finally on the C2, off of, well, still on Vindicus, getting ready to figure out how we're going to get to Induel, and so much more. We hope you guys have been enjoying this gallivant through the universe, and sitting way away from me on another side of the galaxy, we have two of the best characters ever atlas and clive played by uh atlas is played by nathan and clive is played by sam williams and is that a cat in the background meow uh don't don't pay attention to them <laughs> clive is a crazy he's a That's crazy clive's pet. he's he's a crazy cat lady that makes a lot of sense <laughs> and speaking of elephants we have did i say elephants Speaking of elephants? Yeah. Wow. Yes. Speaking no one was of... saying anything of elephants, <laughs> but elephants are on your mind. I'm losing my mind. Speaking of animals, cue trumpet, we have... Courtney Yorks playing McKenna Ali. Cool. And uh, we are glad you guys are here. We, we've been talking about all of our to-do lists, and they um, Clive is the only one that seems to like have stuff that he wants to get done that doesn't include pissing off the other players, and uh, per usual, Atlas and McKenna are going to be going at each other's throats. So, let's get started on this episode of Starlight. <clears throat> Neuralink, access memories. Accessing. Exterminating the stone jaw Onkeg, the spacers, with the help of Sir's fast hands, fix the core and find some respite. There were many close calls that nearly ended both McKenna and Atlas. But thanks to McKenna's quick wits and overcoming of the virus aphid, she was able to use her technomancy and shrink the Ankeg so that Atlas and Clive could take the creature out. With a listening post returned to operations, all that remains is to plan how best to get past the blockade and onto the surface of Indul. Memories retrieved. We are going to jump in with some inspiration. So... This first piece of, of inspiration actually was voted in to the one and only, yours truly, Clive Jensen. Yeah! Woohoo! <laughs> Thank you, everyone. That's Is awesome. Is that your first one ever? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> it's because he was making so, the moves on that lady. That's probably what it was. Uh, yeah, I think so. And, Woo! I mean, you just stop being a, a relative wimp, you know? So, 
Yeah. You you piloted, you sniped, excuse you, you killed. Oh, excuse I'm excused. <clears throat> but um <laughs> the everything fades from black to a low luminescent yellow light. There is a soft hum of the air conditioner and as well as the thrum of machinery and equipment coming back to life. All of you still have a little bit of the echo of that stone jawed on keg that you guys took down in the core reactor room, many levels below the listening station. But now, you guys are hours removed away from that, cleaned up, showered, and able to get some rest. The next day, you guys plan to leave the station and plan at dawn. So, night comes, night goes, and you all eventually wake up and make your way back into the central waiting chamber where flash dried food is waiting. Dr. Hoffer, Dr. Montgomery are there. Sir is there as well, and he is dressed and ready to go as you all start to make your way in. Dr. Montgomery is the one who thanks you. Dr. Hoffer is nose deep into a pile of um, printed off papers and data pads on the circumstances that led to the things that happened here at the listening station, as well as looks like she's doing calculations and there is a uneaten plate of food and a half-drunk cup of coffee. I want to thank them for the shower, the food. This is all very generous of you. Um, and ask if they have any idea of what might be happening on Enduel. If they've had a chance to get more news or insight on what's happening while um, we were resting. Yeah, while we were cleaning up their mess, most more mm-hmm. like it. You don't have to say thank you. I mean, we're the ones who are thankful. Um, Dr. Montgomery comes up to you and she says, I've been trying to sift through everything that's happened. I've been in the dark for quite a bit of time. It doesn't look like the invasion happened. It must have been, looks like about two weeks ago. And from the information that I've gotten that I've been able to pick up uh, from Wayward Signals out here, it's garbled at best, but it looks like they they came using the hypergates. They were able to move into the system, which would mean that another hypergate somewhere allowed them passage in, mm-hmm. unless they have some way to send a fleet of that size on their own. But uh, orcs are a scattered species. It's hard to imagine that they would come together and be able to build something like this and, and as well as that and, and no one know now as for signals outside of Indul, it looks like they stop shortly after like something's jamming the signals like not getting much out from it other than the initial waves of information but and she turns this pad towards you and pushes it towards you guys and you see on the front there is a picture of a silver flag like the kind of flag that would hang almost in like a throne room where it's really long and it tapers down into a point black lines run along the edge kind of like an embroidery 
and the middle has a eye. The eye itself uh, has this red kind of flame. It The flame juxtaposes against the silvery nature of the flag. And she says, people are calling them the, the burning flag, but it looks here that they, they introduce themselves and the calm signals as the Pelagium Pact. I don't really know much more than that, so I did overhear that. If I'm correct, I thought I overheard. You might be heading that direction. I, if I could give you some advice, that seems like a bad idea. Do we have, uh, is there any idea or heard anything about who or what might be leading this invasion? Or does it seem like it's all, all just scattered? I, I don't have any clue, I'm sorry. I mean, <laughs> scattered forces coming together to take down the... FRA? No. They're, they're a coalition. They're well organized. Well, it's like you said, a bunch of scattered mercs coming together seems very unlikely. There must be some bigger power in play here. She goes and scratches her head and says, I know we've had issues with rebellions and other such things in the Federation before, but they've all been small, scattered. Most of the forces, that's what all our conflicts have been on, or skirmishes of ideas, or skirmishes of things that want to break off, but the Federation's been united for a long time. There's, there is no great enemy. Well, there wasn't, at least until now. Uh, that's true. I mean, who knows? I guess it could it could be someone on the inside, too. But I don't think we're going to find anything else out here. Atlas, do you have a way to connect with anyone from the Acers on Enduel? Uh, I might possibly. Dr. Montgomery shrugs and says, Like I said, there's some sort of jamming going on there. Likely you're going to have to break through what I would guess is either a blockade onto the atmosphere to make contact, in or out. Well, we can do that. That won't be too big of a deal. Right? We have the best pilot around, so I'm sure he can make that happen. Well, I think I can definitely do my best. I mean, it's either we break through or we break apart. We don't have much choice here, huh? Sir puts his hand on the table. Now listen here. I didn't just risk my life to go put my neck out on the line to get back onto a place where it doesn't sound like we're going to be able to get off. Are you kidding me? We, we're a great team. Look at us. Now we can just go jump on into, uh, what do you call that? The C4? And blast on off out of here. I got contacts over in XR2. Jobs that we can do. I mean, Christ, come on, guys. Okay, first of all, sir, it's the C2, okay? If you're gonna get on my ship, you're gonna call it by its proper name. Second of all, this is your only way to get off of here. I don't see that, I don't think you have much of a choice. Unless you want to wait for the next ship that's coming around. <clears throat> Alright. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. I'll give you that. I guess beggars can't be choosers. Damn straight. Now, if you excuse me, I'm going to go make sure the ship is all in working order before we decide to get out of here. One question. So you said Agma's a gas giant. Um, is there anywhere... So I imagine there's no, like, land to land on, but is there anywhere to, like, t 
touch base near Agma that might we might get some kind of reception into Enduel? No, I mean, look, you. The reason why we built this out here is Vindicus is out of the way. Agma mm-hmm. disrupts a lot of people coming out here, and we like we had to build extremely high-powered listening posts here just to get information in and out, and it's intermittent at best into that part of the sector. Ogma is a giant gravity well. Mm. You fly in close to that, and you're running the risk of getting pulled in. Now listen here. I can tell that you haven't really been to XR1 that much, but the sun is a red dwarf. Now normally life doesn't happen around here, but Ogma is one of the things that keeps life happening. Endul is caught between both pools of both places, and Ogma is powerful enough to to counteract the sun and keep it rotating so it doesn't burn up. Wow. You get in close to Ogma and you're without the right amount of fuel, you're running the risk of getting pulled into it. Okay, so what would you do if you were us? And you were definitely going to Enduel. You're sure you want to go to Enduel? Don't really feel like we have another option here. She rubs her jaw and, well, you would either need to go around the blockades, which would take you weeks, most likely, to do so, and you're running the risk of running into patrols, or you would need to enter through Agma's side, and that's going to be difficult at best. Have you ever heard of the Gambler's Nest? No, but tell me more. And when she says that, you see Sir go, <sighs> Gosh, dang it. And he stands up and kind of walks over to the side and starts pouring a glass of whatever and kind of is, is being grouchy over there. And Montgomery gives him a long look and looks back at both, all three of you. It's a, uh, it's a den of thieves, a den of criminals. It's a bit of an open secret. And um, as it goes, they are allegedly located in Fox Pass. It is a space station within a colorful nebula. Very hard to reach. But if you can, that's the kind of people that you would need to get in and out of a planet that's been blockaded. So we're looking at a, like almost a two-week journey to get there. You could try and punch a hole through. You guys don't seem necessarily opposed to that. But if you're asking me what I would do, and I had to go to Enduel, mm-hmm. I would get the help of somebody who knows what they're doing. Well, Atlas fits in really well with criminals, so I'm sure that it would be a great fit for him. Um, Clive, what are your thoughts? Mm, well, don't I definitely don't want to get too close to Agma. I don't think that's a smart play. I don't think we have the the ship or the fuel to be able to fight against that that sort of gravity. Uh, and I don't see any other way to get into Enduel, so this den of thieves, whatever it may be, it might it might just be our best choice. And you are right, we do have Atlas with us. Everybody knows the Acers, so 
We might be able to use that to to our advantage. Dr. Montgomery does kind of like, looks like she's been like trying to decide whether to say something or not. And then she finally does. And I'm going to guess this is a no, but there are signals coming from Varashta looking for recruits for the FRA. If you guys are interested in joining the Federation Republic Army, that might be an option, but I kind of guess that that's probably not your speed. I mean, I would look real good in a military uniform. No. They probably don't want to fit you. Oof. You know, sometimes it's good to make bigger and better. And so they would just have to make one to fit me. Is bigger always better, though? Yes. Well, if we're talking about credits, bigger is better. But I think that your friends, and I, you know, I tend not to disagree with Clive all the time. Mostly because he's almost as good looking as me. He's almost as handy with a blaster almost. as me. <laughs> Quiet, you. I'm talking now hold here. Hold up. I'm talking here. <laughs> but I have to agree. He's a step ahead of me on the draw here. I think a definite no is a good answer. But I mean, it would be much more efficient in terms of getting into a duel. And Clive, you're a good shot. I mean, we could join and then fake an injury or fake sick and leave the military. Atlas, you're being awfully silent. What are your thoughts? I was trying to run down all the options that we have. Also, I'm trying to figure out how we can get in contact with an informant there and then see what just see what the situation is. But if the signal is being disrupted, then that's going to be the best bet for me to figure out what's going on down there. And then my informant may or may not know how to just land where we need to go. No or a yes to the military or a no or a yes to the Fox Pass? I think the Federation would be somewhat difficult to, at least in my case, to get into covertly. They do keep files and tabs on everyone that's in the, or has been in the military. And if I remember correctly, they're not a big fan of synths, are they? Hmm. That is, that is a good point. Mm-hmm. Well, you know... What happens you if all... they find out about CISA? Oh, I, I tend to... You didn't think about that, I did you? seem to have forgotten that I have a son. But, um, it also was not great to involve a child with thieves. So now that I do consider that, maybe military is a good option for him. It would straighten him out well. Well, now hold on. Okay. Listen here. To reason. All right. Sir walks over and takes a long sip of his milk. <sighs> you need to straighten out the boy. You guys need an informant. You're also in kind of a hurry. I think Varashta is a great idea. You all can argue about whether you want to join the FRA if you want to find an informant. And at the same time, I lost my beauty, the Arctic Fox and my crew. Now let me tell you what, nothing like hard work on an interstellar journey will straighten up someone. I'm in need of a crew member. You're worried about him getting taken for being a synth. I love synths. Matter of fact, some of my best girlfriends were synths. I'll tell you what, 
I'll take Seesaw off your hands. He'll crew. We'll keep in contact with you. I'll even have him write you letters. Sent the old smell, smell snail way. And you guys drop us off in Varashta. I get us a ride out of XR1. Seesaw's safe. He's with me. We are making business deals. You guys can decide how you're going to get into Enduel, and you don't have to worry about me as dead weight or Seesaw getting in trouble. I just want to clarify what you're offering here. You're offering to take my son away from me? No, think of it as an internship. I'm sorry. I made a promise to Sisa to bring him back to his sister on Enduel, and that is <laughs> not an option. And if you bring this up again, I will punch you in the face. Now, now hold on. I, 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 don't, I don't like it as much as you do, but... As of right now, we don't have a way to get into a duel. So you're not going to be able to get Cisa to assist anyway. But he's anyway. staying with us until we're getting to a duel. Are you seriously implying that I give Cisa to this man that uh. we met barely a second ago and is half drunk right now? Now look, drunk? This is milk. And giving... Who helped us survive. Thank you, Clyde. No. I'm not even going to entertain this idea. I'm sorry, Sisa's not going with you. And I pull Sisa and we go to the ship. You don't have to be so rough. Um, what does Sisa want? Hmm. What does the boy want? Sisa stops, kind of pulls his hand away from McKenna, <laughs> turns around, draws up looks at Atlas, Sir, Clive, and I would love to go on a ship with you, sir, but not right now, I can't. I'm this close to finding my sister. Does the mother know her son? <sighs> You're not my mother. Does the caregiver know the child she's watching? Your sister might just be dead. The place was just invaded. I don't know what, what side she's on or where she is, but you may just be dead or captive. Roll a, um, I think that's a straight charisma roll. First roll of the game. <laughs> 11. He nods his head slowly and then walks up to you, Atlas. And he only stands <laughs> just <laughs> like up to like below your mid midline of chest. That's about where he stands, okay. his midline of chest. He's a tall boy. He just... I have to try. Just like you did when you went down to go fight the Ankeg. You didn't run away from it. I'm going to find her, dead or alive, and I'm going to try. Because that's what you would do. I want to look like such a bad person. Uh, so Atlas is going to grab him by the collar and like slam him against the wall. And then Atlas is going to get like real close to him and have like his eyes like glow red. Do you think you have the resolve for that? If your sister is captive, she's dead. Do you think you have what it takes to get to her? Because we're not going to do all the work for you. Roll an intimidation roll. Five. <laughs> I want to assist Seesaw. How so? I want to stare directly into his eyes. And I want to just say in a very firm voice, you can do this. 
you're assisting his roll, so it will take two off of Atlas's DC. Um, Atlas rolled a five, so it's a minus two to a three, and Cisa rolled a four. Cisa attempts to push you, and when he can't move you, he doesn't stop. You can see his like arms kind of shaking, his face kind of turning red as you blow the smoke into his face, and then the smoke coalesces around him and falls down because the smoke is so heavy. <coughs> I will do whatever it takes. I'm this close. He's shaking. You can tell he's scared. You can see goosebumps on him. But he's making unbroken eye contact with you. Alice will slowly put him down and then kind of like kneel down to his level. But he's like, eye to eye still. Alright, then I will help. I'll help you. It seems like you actually have the resolve to help out your family. So if you need my assistance, just call for me. And then Alice will give him his like a link, you know? Give him a contact, basically, to Atlas. And Atlas will just walk away. Fills it ping. And you don't see this because you're walking away, but Clive and McKenna see this, and there's almost this, like, dumb, shocked look where his eyes get wide, like, holy shit, did that just happen? And then he kind of shuts his mouth, stands up straight, still shaking, walks, almost walks past McKenna, Stops, looks at her, and says, Thank you. I don't say anything. And then he keeps walking. Well, Gon's left tit. I look at him. I don't even know what just happened. I look at him like, Now, do you understand what I've been dealing with for the last month? (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, I'll tell you what. They call that cannon fodder. Well, that's basically what I've been using them for. You got a handful. <sighs> I'm telling you what, Clive. We'd make a great team. Great team. We leave them, take your ship, start our own crew. Just think about it. You know what? I, I think I will think about it. I've got some personal stuff i got to take care of first that the, they've been helping me out with a lot. But let's keep in contact. You never know. Yeah. Sounds good. I've never seen anyone draw a pistol nearly as quick as me. And then he does something similar to what Atlas did and gives you his, like, contact. Clive, can you roll a die 100? Uh, 60. As you attach to the listening post station to boost the signal, there's a ringing it continues for a little bit and then finally something someone picks it up laggerty private calm verify this is atlas kashin the kashin family yes to what do we owe the pleasure uh, as it so happens i'm near in duel as of right now and i heard about the invasion do we know what the acer standpoint is on this and like what the decision is if we're getting involved or not also i do need a way to get onto in duel to deliver cargo for the Acers themselves. As of right now, the families are still fragmented on deciding how to interact. We know that some have reached out to the Pelagium Pact, and others are actively opposing. There is a conclave of the leaders that will create a summit that is happening here in the next few days on how to move forward in a unified manner. 
As for us right now, other members of the family that are located and trapped in Indul, we have high priority targets that we are working on extracting. That being your answer to your question, Kashin family member, we are sending small squadrons into the planet. Will I be able to join one of those squadrons? And if they're going to Valdona, that sector? There's a kind of crackle. I do not know if they're going to Valdona, but send over your verification credentials, and I will go ahead and boost it to those ahead of me, and I will get you a answer shortly. Okay, I'll send those over, and then also, what is the Kashin's family stand on this? I'm just curious. As of right now, they have no standpoint. They are one of two clans that are dark on the matter, not speaking, not answering. They have provided us with tech, however, in order to create and move stealthily into the planet, so it is easy to assume that they are leaning towards fighting, not working with the Pelagium Pact. As you know, their biggest purveyor of their cybernetic goods was the Federation. Do you know I have an estimate on when you're going to hear back on if we can get passage over? Sending the signal now should only be a few more minutes. And a little bit of time passes before the voice kind of crackles back on. And Alice Kashin, you are verified. You can go ahead and bring yourself over to Varashta and land in the third sector. You will find at these, these coordinates a cadre of our family members there to escort you. Perfect. Thank you. So, real fast, do we know who runs the Pelagium or the Pelagium Pact? Do we know who's at the forefront of it? Can you send me, if you do have the information, can you send me a name and face? Yes. And information is slowly trickled over into your Neuralink. You get just these like granular snippets, and it's nothing of the leader, but it's of this massive dreadnought dragon. And that is where this leader has been operating from. The dragon is this looming vessel. And while the one that you fly, the C2, is almost kind of like this fleshy, brown-skinned, almost vehicle, this dragon looks like it is held together by the barest amount of ligaments, pink, fleshy, with white bone jutting in and out like a spine. It curls like a half U, and you can see this red arcing energy that seems to just suspend within the center of it. It is like death floating upon space. The leader only goes by the name the Chieftain. That is not a name he has given himself. That is how he's referred to. Everyone else simply refers as the Chieftain this, the Chieftain that. There are some rumors that, however, that this, that, that the identity of this chieftain is a half-orc by the name of Kalik. Seems to be someone that has no beginning nor end. He seems to be someone who... Yeah. Does he have a last name or no? Yeah. Yeah, he does. Sorry. <laughs> No, There's no, a reason good. I ask. You're, you'll find out. You'll find out. It goes by the name... The, the name that they think that might belong to him is Kalik of the Burning Eye. 
Perfect. And where this name first appeared, as you're getting the information, is some sort of a priest who who got on the bad side of the reveries by promoting the worship of the what is considered the orc pagan god of Grumish. It was thought that Kalik passed and died, but now there are rumors that this chieftain is Kalik of the Burned Eye. Perfect. That's all the information I needed. Thank you. All right, so it looks like I have a way that we can get in. We get to go to Varashta, to the third sector. We'll be meeting with the cadre of some of the Acer family, and then they can get us onto the Indul. Fantastic! Mm, I mean, seems like the less fun way to do it, but I saw a... I'm in. Don't worry, we're just treating one criminal group at Voxfast for another at Verasta. Yeah, you'll have a lot more fun on the planet. Sounds like it's kind of a shit fest down there. Whew. Well, if everyone's finally ready to go, the ship is looking, well, as good as she can. Uh, I'll get her started up. Everyone say your uh, goodbyes to the doctor or whatever you need to do, and let's get out of here. Well, I don't need to say goodbye. I can just say that I am glad we're not going right. to Fox Pass. I got too many loose ends there. Dr. Montgomery, uh, before we leave, I do want to invite you to come and get off of here, because this seems miserable, and you seem miserable. I, uh, I've seen better days. Um, go ahead and make a charisma roll. 17. You seem to make a really good impression on her. She warms up and... She kind of lets this exterior drop, this I'm holding it together exterior, and her hair just seems a little bit more frayed. No, I, I, I'm going to stay here. This is my life's work. It is miserable, but I can't just walk away from something when it gets hard. If you ever change your mind, here's my number. You have a friend in us. As you are starting to leave, she goes, McKenna. Yes. I wasn't going to say anything, and partially because it slipped my mind and I've just been so distracted and 
but um, there's not a lot of you Loxodons left, is there? No. No, I actually haven't seen anyone like me since... since leaving. A few months back, our listening post picked up a... a transmission. I don't know if you'd be interested in this, but if you've even seen other of your kind. But it... it was claiming to be a Loxodonian signal calling out to other Loxodons. Um, some sort of a rallying cry, some sort of a come to the motherland sort of ring. I don't know if you'd be interested in it. I didn't really think anything of it, but um, they were calling for the Loxodons to return to some sort of a, uh, they called it like the dark planet. Or no, no, the translation was the planet without light. Located in in XN14. Do you know who sent this? Uh he just called himself the the father of the way. He didn't give a name? No. But what he said he... things in a strange language I couldn't understand. What did his voice sound like? Deep. Kind of brassy, like it it, it it made the speakers reverb like if you they, he was in a room talking to you you know it wouldn't be so loud it would be hard to understand him because his voice was so low something like that can I do a history check on that? yes five? male loxodons in general tend to have very low voices um one more thing did did he say where on this planet when on this planet was there a date to be somewhere by? Or was it just a calling for all Loxodons? It was just a calling. Like I said, I couldn't understand most of the things being said. And then when was the sent out? And like, a few months back. Send it to me? No, I didn't record it. It was like a... Like if you had a radio signal that you were just capturing. Okay. Thank you. If you hear anything along these lines again can you record it yeah and then can you send it to me of course thank you thank you and like i said if you ever need anything please please feel free to reach out i will good luck and i give her a big hug is going to use the stuck charge and I will try to use it on Calic the burning eye for anyone who might walk by no one does 
they would have seen this like bright blue glow come out from the cracks of Atlas's chambers. The Christasis shard that you are now attuned to floats up out of your hand and it itself begins to vibrate and you feel every atom, every nerve, every hair follicle stands on end as you begin to vibrate to the same frequency in time and this primal knowing starts to fill you. The Christasis shard is only about yay big, but it it seems to grow to an infinite size until it moves around you and completely has you cocooned within. And you are cocooned within this shard. You can't tell if it's real or if it's in your mind, but it doesn't matter because shadows begin to move across it kind of like going around you like a tornado until you are no longer within the ship but floating in space watching almost this movie unfold before you you see this half orc he's a child not handsome not ugly very very common gangly playing on a field just like any other child would be. You see other kids playing around him, but this child, Kallik, is playing alone. Two tusks just barely come up out from his under his lip, and the start, even though he is ten, of a full beard has already begun to sprout. You look around, and you are struck by the orange haze that fills the sky. You smell, and it's like your lungs are filled with the most potent of cigars. It almost makes you cough, Atlas. But these children are unaffected. And that's when you notice that this playground has no grass. It is barren. It is cracked dirt. You can see shaggy mutts eating dead birds. There are children, however, not caring, playing in a park. This park consists of broken vehicles, slides that have been ramshackled together, some children are missing arms. Some children look like they have not eaten in a long time. It is very clear, however, that they are doing as all children would do. Being themselves. And that includes a pair of orcs who come up to Kalik, who is drawing with a stick in the dirt. And they proceed to yell at him, beat him, steal something from him. And then it shifts. We see Kalik older as he's getting ready to join what looks like some sort of a mercenary corps. He's uh, still gangly, but there's a little bit more muscle on him. One of the teeth is broken from many fights, and you see that Kalik is turned away from the mercenary corps. You see that he's unable to join. He's laughed at for his weak nature. And then it shifts to him having a vision one day up on a mountain a mountain of trash and rubble, looking down upon this ravaged planet, wherever it is. And he falls to his knees. As you look past his shoulder into a murky puddle. In the puddle, there is an eye. The eye is nearly on fire. There seems to be this like tremoring, this vibration you can't understand what's being said, but it's like a knowing. Kalik, prostrated, 
crawls up to the puddle and puts his hand in. And when he pulls it free, he pulls free a shard, a shard of some sort of crystal. It looks extremely similar to the Christosis shard. The eye blinks from within the shard, and it leaves in his palm a burned visage of it. The next time you see Kalik, he has now joined the ranks of priesthood, and he is talking to people, orating to them. Then it shifts to him making his way to other planets, to other orcs who maybe know nothing of Grumish. And then eventually, it shifts to the reveries, the arbiters, the paladins of these reveries and the Everlights going and making a hit strike against him. Bombs are dropped, uh, bullets, the the temple that Kalik lives at, works at, is utterly destroyed, and we see Kalik thrown from the ramparts into crashing waves below in whatever lush planet he now is on. And then we see his rebirth as he pulls himself from the waves in the wake, seeing everything destroyed. And this time, as he's pulling himself up on this beach, he finds two mercenaries to the original mercenary corps that he tried to join. They are injured on their deathbed, and using that crystal shard that he managed to hold on to, he is able to revive them. And you can see this slow arc as he begins to show these powers not just text and begins to build a coalition of orcs who are beginning to follow back in the way of their god and their deity Grumish and the last thing you would see is the story of him building this coalition and your question is finally answered is it just orcs or not you see him make his own strike against one of the reveries locations and in it he frees hundreds of scents scents who flee and come to his banner under the pelagium pact and before it cuts out there is just a hologram of a shadowy head that he is talking to somewhere within what you would assume to be that ship that dreadnought you can't understand what's being said there's no sound but he nods goes over to a computer and you see him send a transmission that essentially says safe passage has been given the time to attack and duel is now and then the Christosha shard falls into your hand and the vision falls away I'm speechless. I should have used this thing a long time ago. I just want to do a little bit of research alone really quick. Into where the planet without lights are is. Um, and then confirming my theory that the father of the way is Naguvu. What would you like to do to... Can I just, like, Google search Planet Without Lights? 
Yeah, let's see what comes up. So you're going to do that with a um, culture. 19. So you're kind of like, we'll call it oogling so we don't get uh, in trouble. <laughs> so you oogle for the planet without lights. <laughs> um, and you get a ton of references to planets without lights. We hear about planets with where the suns have died and there's nothing out there. You have planets where there's some sort of mass like a, with an event horizon that is reflecting light. But then, as you would know, this is why it's really important to travel by hyper lanes uh, of the hypergates, is there are planets that do exist that don't move around a sun anymore, that are effectively completely shrouded in night. So can I look up that in conjunction with Loxodons and the path? You find your way to a very archaic subsection of a subsection of a subsection in the Google search. And the closest thing that you can find is a old poem, one that you would have sung as a kid while playing, but it it is it essentially is the reference to the homeworld of Loxodonia in the an- anticipation of when the sun would die. As you would know, that one of the, the demise of the Loxodons was that they, they believed in ends and finality. And so many of them refused to leave when the, the sun in their world went out. And so in this poem, it refers to this world with light as the coming of the dark world. Okay. And then the father of the way. Are you trying to assume that Naguvu is the one who would be that? Yes. Then you would make, you're going to make an insight check into your understanding of Naguvu. 20. The Naguvu that you knew in the beginning was always someone who really believed in his own skill and uh, what he was capable of. The Naguvu you knew at the end was one who was inflated with self-importance, ego, and would have no problem calling himself as the father of the way. Mm-hmm. How are Loxodons getting to this? A path, a way that Loxodons are getting back to the homeland? 16? Like, actual images come up of old Loxodon, Loxodonian like reliefs and stuff like that and carved artwork. And most of it's in conjunction with the reveries. Why... It, this is not a good religion to follow, sort of blah, blah, blah. But the images that are often shown are often of um, Loxodons all kind of around some sort of like diamond-shaped geometric object. Mm-hmm. And that almost has like light waves coming off of it. Trunks are prostrated up. And you see a lot of images like that that are in conjunction with this, your way of combining like the way in. Atlas, can you roll a die 100? Uh, 82. So your guys' travel goes relatively fine. And by that, I mean there's some semblance of calm, some a good amount of uh, respect between everyone. 
you guys kind of get to know Sir a little bit more, and, you know, he kind of grows on you in his own kind of way, but he definitely would be someone who outwears his welcome quickly. Um, on multiple occasions, you have to tell him to eat only his rationed amount of food. And for the most part, you just get this expansive view of the solar system. As you pass Agma, you see this massive gas giant that swirls with these almost like neonish green color and has like rings upon rings upon rings of this small debris that circulates around it. You see in duel, and you can't really see the blockade, but you do see little black specks dotted around the planets. And in duel has no, you see no blue. You you only see gray, and you see clouds. It is as if the planet itself is one giant city. As you come closer to Fox Pass, as you're making your way past the Hypergate, the Hypergate appears to be under guild control still and you can see what looks like private soldiers for hire um and atlas you would actually recognize that they belong to the acer family the laggerty and you're able to pass unhindered there's like a little bit of an inspection and a check but you guys are fine what takes your breath is as you go by fox pass the nebula is purple and red with like little waves of blue and even from the distance that you are away from it, you can, you, Clive, sense that the instruments and the electrical devices within the dragon, the C2, are kind of thrown haywire by the sheer amount of energy being sent out by this nebula. And slowly, but faithfully, you make your way to Varashta, passing the moon of Miracle, and you send in the information you are able to kind of pass through the all of the con- the questions and the the affirmation that your vehicle is not with the Pelagian Pact and that you guys are not criminals, and then make your way down towards the planet itself. Varashta, as you take it in, is a tidally locked planet. It does not rotate. As you break the surface of the atmosphere you see that it is a planet of extremes. The side that faces the sun is a barren wasteland, sand dunes, rocky expanses. Nothing exists there. And on the far side, you can't really see it, the dark side, you can just see the edges of a frozen tundra. Every city is built along this Goldilocks twilight zone that goes around the midsection of the planet just a few miles, really, to the relative grand scheme of the planet where life can habitate. You see beautiful, you see beautiful cities that are built in conjunction with amazingly lush forests that exist within this twilight belt. And Clive, you are rocked as you bring the ship down and you can feel this like tumult of wind, wind that carries the warmth from the hot side of the planet over to the cool side allowing water to exist and you can feel it almost as if the dragon skin is yours you pass through these strong winds and come down to a city located near this beautiful jewel of a lake all around you you can see ornate wealth you can see gray squat buildings however that are built 
um, around this lot, private expanse that belongs to the Lagarty family. And as the dragon touches down, a huge cadre of vehicles come out to inspect and meet those of you who are part of the C2. And with that, I think that that is probably a good place to call the game. All right. Well done. Yep. Yeah. Crazy. Oh my gosh. I feel like we say that before every next episode. Yeah. You do say that before Uh, every next freaking episode. Because it always gets crazy. (laughs) All right. I still think we should have gone to Fox's Pass, but that's just me. (laughs) I mean, that was actually a pretty cool encounter. I'm not going to lie. That would have been really sick. I also love that I did not plan for this. You love what? I didn't plan. I didn't plan for this. Oh, to go to Varasta? No. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I thought 100% you guys wouldn't go all the way over there. Thank you for listening to this episode of Starlight. If you enjoyed this, please like, share, subscribe. For early releases, exclusive RPG content, and other bonus material, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash starlightadventures. And to reach us for questions to be aired, email us at the starlightadventures at gmail.com. See you next Tuesday, spacers.